1: Amen. Thank you Matt. Uh, Aren't you glad Matt's back? Yeah? Amen. That's right. Uh, It's been a tough year, a couple of years, but God is still good and uh, I hope you're as excited about what's going to happen in 2022 as I am. It's going to be some wonderful things, and God will be at work, and we will be blessed. Hope that you'll be a part of that. Um, I'm Keith Maloney. I'm one of the ministers here at Greenville Oaks, and I've been invited to provide a message for today. Uh, Have you noticed this past week or so uh, one of those human interest stories in your news feed or television about the family that started receiving all of these packages from Walmart and had no idea why. I mean, the mom had been online looking uh, at different things, chairs and other home furnishings, and she put a bunch of stuff in her shopping cart to come back and look at it later and decide if she wanted to order them like we do sometimes. But she hadn't done anything, and suddenly they started getting all this stuff delivered to their house. She asked her husband if he had ordered that stuff. He said, no, I don't know anything about it. She asked her two older children if they had, they said, no, they didn't. So they realized that what had happened is the youngest child who is not yet two years old, somehow had gotten a hold of her phone and bought all of the things in her shopping cart. And so they were just getting all this stuff over about $1,800 worth of things. Now, You know, we've all had toddlers that have kind of made little messes they had to clean up, but it didn't usually cost that much, you know? Uh, At the end of the interview, the the dad, the husband said, you know, I think maybe we need to put some passwords on our phones, so if the kids get a hold of them, they can't do that again. I think that's an astute observation. I think maybe they need to do that. He was talking about what we're talking about this morning. He was talking about setting a boundary, so that other people's behavior doesn't create such a problem for us we are in the second the third week of our churches that heal series based on the work of dr henry cloud a leading christian psychologist in our nation and in the world today Uh, i really appreciate matt and Wes the last couple of weeks as they brought messages Wes brought the first one about the foundation of becoming a church that heals. And it's encapsulated in that formula, grace plus truth over time. That's how healing occurs. And then last week, Matt, along with the help of Dr. Greg and Kathy Patton, did a marvelous job of of illustrating how vital personal relationships are to experiencing healing. And that was a wonderful blessing if you were here, if you were here either in person or online. Well, the Bible tells us that we were all created in the image of God. If you read Genesis 1 and verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our, and mankind in our image, in our likeness. And one of the things you have to notice about that, he didn't say let me, is, is God is not, singular, but plural, because God has always existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And these three, though they're three distinct persons, live in a a unity, a oneness that is something beyond what we can even comprehend. And so God said, let us make mankind in our image. And we were created to live in relationship, with those personal connections, just as God exists in that connectedness. But God also exists as three separate persons, our identities. And so we are created to have our own separateness as well, to differentiate ourselves in a healthy way. And we see that dynamic, we observe it in children when they're very, very young. Take a, a, a newborn, a little infant, and that infant knows that there's just something intrinsic within them that know that they need to depend on their mother and their father, especially the mom, the source of nourishment and nurture and safety and comfort and all of the things that that little person needs. And when that connection is not there, when they're deprived of that, they let you know it in a real loud way, right? Right? But not only do they need that connection, that that oneness with others. As they mature, as they develop, as they begin to grow, they begin to need a separateness as well. And when a kid gets about two years old, maybe a little before, maybe somewhat after, they start learning to talk and they have favorite words like, no because they want to exert their own independence. They want to decide what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. They want to be in control of themselves. They say, mine, that's another favorite word, because they want to be in control of their stuff. You see, God created every single one of us to be in control. Usually we think of control as a negative thing, and often that's very, very justified. But God created that little person with an an innate need, desire to control something, themselves If you remember reading in Galatians chapter five when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, one of the ways he says that is manifested is in self-control. And God created every one of us to have that desire to control ourselves. And doing that's not unhealthy, it's a godly thing that we do. Now, unfortunately, we don't always do it in a healthy way. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to control other people that we don't control ourselves. The truth is many of us have grown up in homes where that was normalized where there's always somebody telling you what to do and how to behave and what to think and so on and so forth. If we ever say no, if we ever disagree, we are somehow not acting in a godly way. We're not being nice. We're not being kind. It may not have been intentional. The people teaching that may have no idea that that's what they were communicating. But sometimes... We grow up in that environment, and we have this overwhelming desire to please our parents that never stops, and it's not healthy. I remember when Cindy and I, my wife and I, were first married, uh, we would have family gatherings. Our families both lived in the same city. Uh, My family of origin and and her family and extended family were were all there. So when holidays would come around, we were expected to be at the events of each of the families in different places. So it was kind of hard. Like, for instance, on Christmas, we would go to one place on Christmas Day at noontime for a midday meal, and we would be there for a couple hours. We would eat, and then we would start to say our goodbyes, and you would have thought we were absolutely rejecting and repudiating the people we were leaving you would thought they were just horribly mistreated. But we would pry ourselves away from that to go to the next family gathering for the other family, and we would be met with these forlorn looks like, well, we didn't even know if you were ever going to come or not. And we were making everybody miserable, most of all us. And we realized we needed to stop doing that. We needed to set a boundary. And so we sat down and we communicated with them. We said, okay, we're going to go to one place one day, not try to be everywhere at once. And everybody was happier with it. Now, that's a very minor thing. That's a very simple illustration of what we're talking about, but it happens all the time. Uh, There are a lot of places where people aren't mature and caring like our parents were. And they, they don't accept that. They just want to be controlling of us. And some people have honed the skill of manipulation into a fine art. And so if we've grown up in that kind of environment, they saying no is not accepted. It's communicated in all kinds of different ways, but it's, the message is the same. If you love me, if you care about me, then you will, and you fill in the blank with what goes there, then you'll be here. Then you will do this. Then you will listen to me. Then you will accept what I'm asking. Then you will agree with me. Then you will understand my point of view. Then all of these things are communicated, and we wind up feeling like that we have to comply. doesn't just happen in families, though can happen at work where there's somebody there that's not pulling their weight and you wind up having to take up the slack. You care that things go well, that things are accomplished. And so you do your job and part of theirs. You ever been there? It can happen at uh, at school. It can happen when you've got, uh, somebody telling you, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the other. If you're a student the way that you ought to be, then you'll be in this program and you'll be in this course of study and you'll do this stuff and you'll be here and you'll participate in this event and activity. It can happen between a husband and a wife where if you don't do what the other wants you to do, you're going to pay a horrible price. And folks, it can even happen in churches where the message is very clear. If you really love God, then you'll be a part of this ministry. You'll be involved in this program. You'll go to this place. You'll do this thing. You'll support this cause. You'll be a supporter of this event. You'll attend this thing. And on and on and on it goes. And there's all sorts of techniques that people use to control others. Perhaps the most obvious one is anger. I've literally sat and listened to a lady say with tears streaming down her cheeks, I can't say no to my husband because if I do, he will be horribly angry. And we just don't want to pay that price. And some people don't get angry and blow up at you when you don't cooperate or don't do what they think that you should. Some of them do the passive-aggressive route. You know, They don't say anything about it. In fact, they don't even say anything to you at all. They just clam up, they won't even talk to you. And they withdraw into this little shell until you come around and do what they want you to do. There's manipulation and guilt and shame and, and all kinds of things that are used. Some of them are blatantly obvious. Others are incredibly subtle, but very, very effective. So what do we do with that? Now, the Bible has something very clear to say how we respond to this situation, and it's in a place that you may not frequent in your daily devotional reading in the mornings. It's in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19. God is talking to Moses, giving Moses instructions for the nation of Israel and telling them how that they need to treat God and how they need to treat each other. Beginning of verse 15, he says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now you may be scratching your head and saying, well, what does that have to do with what you've been talking about? Basically this, when we hear that word justice, we tend to think of legal proceedings in a court or something. But the basic idea of the word isn't about legal proceedings. It's about treating each other right, about being fair in our relationships with one another. And there's two ways that are indicated that we most often fail to do that. One is, he says, do not show partiality to the poor, to the people who are without, needy, people because so often that's what we are likely to do. There's someone that seems so needy, so helpless, and our hearts go out to them. Maybe it's a financial need or maybe it doesn't have anything to do with money, but they always are needing something. They need your attention. They need your help. They need your time. They need your support. They need whatever it is, and it's constantly needing. And because we're people that care about others, our hearts go out to them and we want to respond. And sometimes what we don't realize is that can be manipulative. It can be used to dump their responsibility on us instead of owning it themselves. Maybe there's a, an adult child who has never learned to take care of themselves, never learn to stand on their own feet. They're always in trouble, always needing help, always having something. And so We want to help that child. Our, as parents, we love them, we're devoted to them. We, we would do anything we could for them and we wind up doing things that aren't helping them, but in the end, actually harmful because they keep them stuck where they are. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe there's there's someone else that's not related to us at all, and they're doing the same thing. We need to avoid being manipulated by being over-sympathetic to people that are struggling. But the next verse says, the other side of the coin, he says, don't show favoritism to the great the people who are powerful, the people who are important, the people who have a lot of sway and influence and ability to do things, because that's what we often do. Like the lady that could never say no to her husband because of what he would do. <clears throat> that says deferring to someone is what I'm doing because I'm afraid of what will happen if I do what I believe is really right. And it may not be anybody in a family. It may be a teacher or a coach at school. It may be somebody in an organization that is well-respected and looked up to and has a tremendous amount of influence. And we think we have to go along with them in order to accomplish what we need to do. God says, don't do that. And if we're constantly giving in to someone, either because we're too sympathetic or because we're too fearful of what might happen that they will do, we're allowing them to just stay there and we're paying the price for it. And so instead, God tells us what we should do. Look at verse 17. It says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself now we hear that last phrase and we think oh yeah i remember that that's the second commandment you know jesus said the first commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself we're very familiar with that what we don't realize is he's quoting leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. and if we read this in context we have to recognize that loving your neighbor as yourself means that instead of allowing them to control us either by being manipulative or by intimidating us, we are not going to do that. Because if we keep doing that, inevitably, it leads to resentment and us bearing a grudge. And he says if we do that, we're partly responsible. We share in their guilt because what we're doing is keeping them stuck. It's reinforcing that that behavior gets them what they want. God says, instead of doing that, you need to go talk to them. It says, rebuke your neighbor frankly. That doesn't mean you come and lay down the law. That doesn't mean you lambast them. You go with kindness and gentleness and grace, but you're honest about what's going on and the outcome of it. And when we do that, we stop enabling that very unhealthy behavior and all the stuff that goes with it. When I fail to do that, I'm just keeping them in that stuck place, in that unhealthy place. And it's partly my fault. We need to be really honest about this brothers and sisters. Sometimes in the church, because we want to love people and care for them and support them and encourage them and all of the things that they need. Sometimes we do that to someone's detriment. We read scriptures like Galatians 6.2, where Paul says, you need to bear one another's burdens, carry one another's burdens. And we think, well, if we're going to be doing what God calls us to do, then we've got to take care of somebody when, they, when they've got this load to carry, when they, 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 need, they need help doing that. And that is absolutely true. When someone genuinely needs help, we can't turn a deaf ear to that. We must never turn our backs on them. We need to give and encourage and support and help them and do it generously and without resenting it or bearing a grudge in any way, we need to do that. But we have to be wise enough to read the whole counsel of God because just three verses after Paul said in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens in Galatians
2: 6.5,
1: he says each one should carry their own load. Now, which one is it? Is Paul just confused here? Did he forget what he said? Do we carry one another's burdens or carry our own load? Well, the answer is we do both. We have to be honest and tell them the truth when what they're doing is shirking their personal responsibility and not carrying their own load, not pulling their weight. But there are times that come into the lives of every single one of us where it's way too much for us us to handle on our own, by ourselves. And we desperately need the help and the support and the care that others can provide just like the story we heard so powerfully told up here last week. When those situations come, we need to give generously and without reservation, without hesitation. You see, we often say at Greenville Oaks, this isn't an either or, it's a both and. We have to be honest and tell them the truth, but we do it in love with kindness and grace. see, we don't treat everybody exactly the same regardless of the situation. And Paul May was real clear about that too. In 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 14, he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. When people are being idle and disruptive, we don't support them in that. We get honest with them. We get real. We tell them, look, you can't keep doing this. We want to help you. We love you. We want to support you. We want to walk this journey with you, but we can't keep doing it all for you. And when people are weak and desperately need help, we need to help them without reservation. People who are disheartened, he says, we need to encourage. But in every situation, we need to do the very best we can to provide what is healthy for them, to be a church that heals. And when we follow what God has outlined here, we will be a place that provides healing for people. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's one of the most hard, difficult things you'll ever do, but it's well worth doing it. I've asked Rob Stevens to come up and share a story where he set some boundaries with someone he loves very, very much, and how God used his courage in setting those boundaries to make a incredibly powerful difference in this life. Rob, thank you for coming and being here. Uh, thank you. Sounds like it.
2: The danger of asking Keith to join you in a Bible study is when you say something, he's going to get you up here to repeat it. Uh, so be a little careful there. I have a Wednesday morning, first and third Wednesday morning group that meets at IHOP for about an hour. Uh, we were talking about compassion in the month of January. And Compassion goes right along with having to set some boundaries. And we were talking about it, and I brought up a story about my son, who at the time, uh, when all this occurred, he had graduated from Plano Senior and was on his way to ACU. Uh, Great athlete, uh, good student. Uh, Everything was paid for. Uh, What school didn't pay for, mom and dad were going to pay for. He had a free ride. The, the whole nine yards. Well, after the first year, he decided to quit everything. And he did. He just quit, quit everything. His mother, he quit school, sports, the whole nine yards. His mother and I talked about it. And we decided at that time to set some boundaries on him. Uh, we loved him very much. We didn't want to do this but we felt like knowing his nature, we had to. Because before he was born, he was a free spirit. In his mother's womb, he just ran all kinds of miles every day. And when he was, after 20-something hours of labor, he decided, I'm going to show you all, I'm going to come out breech. So he turned breech at the last minute. And his mother had to have a C-section. And he was that way his whole life a free spirit, very independent. So we knew his emotions, we knew what he thought about, so we said, we're gonna set some boundaries for him. We told him he couldn't move back home. He had made an adult decision. He had to go get a job, he had to feed himself, he had to pay his own rent. We'd given him two cars that he had wrecked, no more cars. He had to go buy his own car if he could afford it. If not, public transportation was around. Well, he decided he didn't want to live in this area anymore, so he decided to move down to Austin. He did find a job down there, but he also bought a Jeep that we told him, pleaded with him not to buy. Three months later, that Jeep was repossessed, and it took him a long time to get that off of his record. He's now got outstanding credit, but he learned a lesson. It really hurt Pat and I to have to do that, though. We learned later he was eating oatmeal. He was going to the blood bank selling blood plasma to get money. He finally learned. The only thing we told him is that we would help him out with his medical bills. If any of that happened, we were there. He never had to worry about it. As time went on, he finally got a job blowing glass. He learned how to do that. We didn't care if he went to a trade school and learned a good trade or went to college. We just wanted him to, to do something with his life and be a productive, good Christian member of society. He decided, though, that he, met a young, he was going to go to Blend. He never did go to Blend. He met a young lady who was uh, in school and wanted to go to nursing school. And she was from Houston, and she was moving to Tempe, Arizona, to go to ASU. Well, behind they they say behind every successful man is a good woman. And believe me, this is true in his case. He followed her out to Tempe, Arizona. A few years later, with her telling him that he needed to do something with his life and encourage him, he went back to school, never asked us for a dime. Didn't ask us for anything. He paid for it himself. He's now got three teenage boys, still married, still living in Tempe, Arizona. His mother and I, though, agonized over doing that. As Christians, we always read the. We never got down to the second verse. Uh, we always thought, help them in everything. But we made the decision not to, and it really hurt us to do that. But in the long run, it was the best for him and his family that he's got now. So setting boundaries for him at that time, it taught him a lesson. It taught us a lesson. And I know we're not the only parents that have ever done that. But it was new to us, and uh, we learned a lot, and so did he. Thank you, Rob. Let's pray together. Father God, thank
1: you for the way that you work in our lives. Lord, we confess so many times when we're in the crucible and things are tough, uh, we wonder if you're there. And it is so hard, so difficult to make the healthy choices. It, it, It pains us terribly. Father, we pray that uh, you'll let us do it. We thank you for the love that Rob and Pat have for their son, for all their kids. And thank you for the courage that they had to make wise choices and right decisions that would ultimately be exactly what the one that they loved needed. God, we pray that you allow us to to see clearly, to discern how to respond to people when those situations are beyond the ability of anyone to bear alone and when we need to be honest and say, you know, you need to pull your weight here. God, allow us to trust in you as you lead us, just as Rob and Pat have done, and let us become a church that heals so that people can experience the abundant life you intend them to have in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray, and amen. Would you stand? May God bless you this week as you go out into the world and as you engage with people. May you be a source of grace and comfort and peace wherever you go. When the needy are in need, may you help them without hesitation. And when others need encouragement in the way of taking their responsibility, may you have the courage and the wisdom and the love to do that with grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville
2: Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.